Great. Well, Mr. Brandon Vemos is our newest guest for Virtual Coffee House. Welcome to our newest episode. Um, Mr. Brandon Vemos is the two times Grammy Award winning artist, musician, Pacifica Quartet founder, and cello professor at Jacob School of Music at Indiana University. Welcome, Mr. Vemos. So great to have you here. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Great. So uh, let's start talking about this newest Grammy that you won this year, right? Uh, with the best performing chamber music album. And can you just like talk us through the journey of building Pacifica Quartet? And then like, where did it start? And then how did it become a Grammy award winning ensemble? Well, okay. I mean, it all started, we were still in school, all of us. And I was finishing up a, a master's degree. And I had a, a, a friend, Samin Ganatra, who was, you know, a serious violinist who happened to study with my parents. And we had played a lot together in the summers, in summer festivals, chamber music. And it was sort of, we knew it was sort of all of our passion, something that we really loved doing, and in particular, uh, string quartet. So we, we started discussing, she had formed a quartet with some of her friends in Los Angeles, and they were sort of trying to, you know, rehearse and, and become a quartet, and they had some issues, they needed a cellist, and they called me up. I was um, just finishing my master's and asked if I wanted to join the quartet, and so I said I was excited about it. I was playing in a, in a in a quartet at the time at Yale, it was kind of serious. And um, mm -hmm. so we started rehearsing. We, we met over our vacation. We started rehearsing seven, seven, eight hours a day on all of our vacations. And we just kind of went for it. You know, it was, I, I have to say my, my personal journey being um, studying with Paul Katz, who was in the Cleveland Quartet, mm -hmm. um, being around him and hearing that quartet and the repertoire that they played and what his life was like. It just seemed so exciting. And, and, and playing in a quartet is such a very special uh, way of communicating. It's a very personal medium, you know, for like-minded players, you know, string instruments. Um, and the repertoire that, that's written for the string quartet is so special. All of the great composers, they wrote some of their best music for string quartet. So there was a passion there. And I think that's what, when the Pacifica Quartet started, we had that incredible desire to, to work really hard and um, become a string quartet. And it was a struggle for years. Yeah, never easy. But um, so the, the path to, you know, getting a Grammy and all that, it, it's a long kind of arduous path, uh, had its ups and downs. Can you talk more about the struggling part? Um, like, what are some of the biggest issues you guys face in terms of like, just getting yourself out there? Well, initially, you know, when we started as a quartet, nobody knew who we are. We were, you know, we had uh, no recognition anywhere. So I, I feel like I was lucky with the group that in our, the original Pacifica was very sort of go-getters, you know, not afraid to sort of reach out to people. I don't know if that was my personality, but being around them, I, I sort of learned a lot from knowing that when you're young, um, you have to kind of make things happen. They don't just fall into your lap. And that group was really good at reaching out to people. We, we entered every competition. We uh, we reached out to presenters, we reached out to other string quartet players, you know, the, the older generation, we played for many people, we went to many festivals, like we went to the Aspen Music Festival early on, and a bunch of different places where we were already trying to get ourselves into the scene of the, the chamber music world, which is quite small. I, I think being put yourself in positions where people can hear you is, 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 is a challenging thing. Um, so we did that. And, that, and I think that was I often tell my students, if you, you know, when you're trying to begin your career, you have to be proactive. You can't just sit there and think, well, if I play well, that's, that's all I need to do. And then you have to work hard. You have to sound as good as you can. But at the end of the day, you also have to 
put yourself out there either by taking auditions, playing for as many people as you can. So do you guys have um, to always, you know, publish your own music, your own album, or do you guys eventually have a management or someone doing it for you? Or how, how, did, how did that work? In the beginning, we had nothing, you know, we started doing competitions because, uh, you know, and it's not, it was never my favorite thing to do to prepare for a competition, but um, it does give you some recognition and it opens up doors. And that's just how things work, you know? So we did a lot of competitions. And one of the early competitions we did was Concert Artists Guild, Mm -hmm. which is, I don't know, you're probably familiar with it. It's an organization in New York that gives the, which I think is the best prize you could ever get in a competition, better than money and appearances is management. And we were lucky to get that, um, which gave us, uh, you know, that first year, maybe 30 performances around the country, often in very small venues um, in small towns. It was fantastic because we were able to learn repertoire, not get up in New York City on a big stage and you know, play yeah. a you know, repertoire we didn't know well as a young quartet. We were able to get our feet wet and get a lot of experience, make a little bit of money. I mean, we struggled mm. financially for years, but um, that was, I think that gave us a big start uh, having that management. And then uh, we lived in Chicago and eventually we got the notice of of a very great music uh, recording label, Sadie Records. And they took a chance on us early on to make a recording of a composer, a a Chicago composer, Easley Blackwood. And that relationship has been there for now almost 30 years. So I think we were lucky in a way to, to, to have that opportunity, but um, beginning to record early has taught us a lot. Hmm. I think the recording process has made it has always makes us a better quartet. So that's kind of how it, how how that came about. Amazing. Yeah, I can I feel related to that a lot. I think in terms of management for musicians or artists in general, I think especially classical musicians that putting yourself out there is very important. And I think with management that helps a lot because for now I am like into this content creating realm or or, or industry, and I'm basically doing everything for myself. And that's a lot of work. So if you can have someone who can like just help you out there and then publish content for you, that's, that's by all means great help for sure. Yeah, I think musicians need that. I, I think you're absolutely right. I think what you're doing, I think young musicians today, I think it's even harder than when, when I was, uh, you know, uh, at your age, like the fact that you're, what you're doing here, this uh, outlet for, for you and creating the space, that's amazing. And those are the kinds of things that I think right now, young musicians have to be incredibly creative in how, how they get themselves out there. It's not always easy, easy to find management, but you can do a lot of that on your own. Exactly. That, and that, that work that we did on our own got us in the position to be noticed by a manager or to do that competition. I, I think what a lot of people look for is people who have a couple of things, incredible drive and passion to do what they want to do, like an energy that means incredible work ethic and willing to do things that are not easy to get where you want to go. I mean, some people give up. Some right. people say, well, that's just a lot of work or I don't want to go do that competition because it costs money or I, you know, that's, that's an investment in money that I don't have right now. You know, you have to take risks to get where you want to go. You have to put, you have to risk doing a project that, you know, might fail. Um, and you have to be dedicated. Those are the most important aspects. I think a lot of people think, well, I'm a really good player. 
why shouldn't I get these things? And that's not how it works. You know, even people who are taking orchestral auditions, you take, you take 20 right. before you have that success. And so right. I think people who don't give up, people who are committed have success. Right. And, it, you know, again, as much of work aspect, I feel like there's doing um, content, creating whatever it is. I feel extremely fortunate and lucky to live in this, you know, period of life. Because again, like you said, back in the days for you, you know, we didn't have like podcasts. We didn't have uh, YouTube, TikTok, whatever platform, multi-platform marketing for free for artists. You can just like make things and then maybe you go viral, right? Um, I, I'm, I'm fortunate to have like over millions of views and then thousands, hundred thousands of followers on social media, but it takes a lot of work. But, you know, again, I'm fortunate I did all of the, that for free. So it's very fortunate to be alive in this period of time. <laughs> yeah, you know, you bring up a good point because um, you're right. We didn't have those social media outlets. So it was very right. hard to do it. I think in a way it was much harder to do it on your own. But now like, you, like what you're doing, you can create that uh, visibility without the help of, you know, the powers that be, right, you know, right. you can work and make it happen yourself, which is amazing. Right. You know? It takes more work, but I think, I think, um, again, management takes some, you know, some cuts out of your profit as well. And, 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 um, you know, it's management, but doing yourself, it's more work, but it's, it's in a way, you know, more free and you, you're in control of what you want to put out there, which is pretty fun. So very true. Very true. Yeah. All right, so Mr. Ramos, you're going on tour soon. I heard uh, from our phone call yesterday. Can you just take us through like a typical day in life uh, when you're on tour with uh, the quartet or orchestra or anything? Yeah, so for us, you know, um, I mean, the preparation for a tour is, is weeks in advance, months in advance. You know, mm -hmm. we have a tour and we don't like to go for extended periods of time because, you know, for, for our lives now, when we have families, when you have students, it's it's not it's not easy to be gone for extended period, but we have this period in January before school starts where we're gonna be gone for eight days and we're playing six concerts. So in those six concerts, there, there's a lot of repertoire that we've been asked to play, um, that the presenters have asked us to play in multiple concerts. So we have like maybe seven or eight pieces that we'll be playing on that tour, which means a lot of rehearsal to be prepared for that. So this previous month we've been and actually some of that uh, is, is new repertoire that we, that we want to add to our um, list of pieces we're playing. So we've been rehearsing a lot. So a lot of it is that preparation. The, the tour begins on January 5th and we, we, we have an early flight and we head out to Portland, Oregon and then there's events. It is, what I think young musicians don't always realize is that it's not just show up and play a concert, but there are things that uh, happen uh, outside of that. You know, for example, there might be a donor dinner where you meet with uh, the donors for that series and just being there talking to them is, is an incredibly important thing to do to like reach out, you know, because it, in a way it, uh, being in a quartet is like a small business. You have to maintain the relationships, um, which I actually quite enjoy because I, I think a lot of these people that we meet with are incredibly interesting, incredibly mm. and devoted to, they love chamber music. They love music. And that's, that's what makes our field work, these people. So we, we, have, we have dinners, we have some outreach activities where we might go play um, for some people that won't be able to come to the concert. 
And then night after night, we move from place to place. Some of it's driving will be in Oregon. So we'll play in some towns outside of Portland, but we have a couple of concerts in Portland, uh, Oregon, and we have a concert in Phoenix. So we get on an early plane, we play a concert, we get the next morning, an early flight to Portland, play a concert, drive to the coast of Oregon. It's very busy mm. um, and it can be exhausting. You know, some days I wake up and I have a, a 6 a.m. flight and I have to get out of bed at 3.30 to get to the airport. Right. And you wake up and you're like, what am I doing? You know, how am I going right. to survive this day? Yeah. And you get some coffee and you, and you get in the airport and you sleep a little on the plane and you arrive there and then you're, re, you're energized again. But it's, um, you know, by the end of this, this week, we're going to be very, very tired. I know that. But at the same time, uh, the energy that we get from those concerts and, um, and being in these different environments is, is, it's uh, inspired, you know, it gets us motivated. Right. So most of the energy we spend on road trips, it sounds like, um, it's very exhausting. So how do you stay focused consistently from the first concert all the way to the, the last one? How do you keep that energy going? For, I don't know. For me, knowing that I have to walk out on stage, I can't not have that energy. I don't know. It, it doesn't even matter, matter if it's in a big venue in front of a lot of people and, in, you know, in a big city or if it's in a small town. I don't want to not play my best and don't want to, I feel a responsibility that they're coming to the concert that we can communicate and connect with them. And I, I don't know, I've always felt that way. I, you know, people talk about, well, I, you know, you can get burnt out, but I, I think I have personally, I have like a, a high adrenaline factor mm -hmm. that yeah. when I walk out on stage, I have nerves and uh, I want to play well. As I get older though, it's important that I get enough sleep. So these early morning flights can be diff difficult. Sometimes I realize as opposed, you know, maybe when I get to the hotel, I need to sleep a little bit. I'll play better that night. I used to say, let's go out and uh, have a great lunch somewhere and have fun. And maybe I'll meet with some friends. I, I don't do that anymore. I take a nap. I try to eat well. I just lay low. Maybe I'll exercise a little bit and um, then I'll warm up. And I'll go to the venue. We have a rehearsal and we play the concert. I think you have to take care of yourself, especially if it's night after night, you have to pace yourself and say, when can I get enough sleep? And these early flights, they make it hard because when you get, when you sit down in the concert hall that night, you have to have 110% focus right. uh, to play your best. Um, and I think, you know, you, you're, you're not always in control. And I think when I first started the quartet and we start first started touring, I was kind of thrown off. Like, wow, this is really exhausting. This is not how I'm used to playing. When I'm at school, I make sure I sleep well. Then, you know, I, I have lots of time to practice. I'm not thrown in this direction and that direction. When you're on tour, you might have to do a radio interview or an outreach concert on the day of your concert. And so you realize that, you know, it's, it's not as relaxed as you, as you might think, you know, and you can't put all your focus on that evening concert. So there are challenges for sure. Right. Yeah, we kids out there, I think, don't realize how physically demanding playing instrument is. <laughs> I think it's a, it's a combination of physical work and mental work, which is doubling the exhaustion. But all right, let's let's shift the conversation a little bit to the education aspect, because you are an educator at one of the best music schools in the world. Talking about auditions, right? You've took many auditions for competitions for your quartet, etc. How do you think students? can best prepare for their college auditions as you know we are entering a new 
college audition season? Yeah, I, I, that's a great question because my head is really in that world now, having students who are taking auditions and also being on the other side of it for a number of years now, sitting right. there and listening to three full days of auditions where we, from you know, for four or five hours in a row, every 10 minutes, a new person comes in and you know how hard they've worked to get there. Exactly, yep. And you know how important is them to, it is for them to play well and the nerves that they have, the money they put in to get there. So, exactly. you know, I think on, our, on my end, when I'm listening to auditions, I, we have a lot of sympathy for the people who are auditioning and we want them to play well. We want it to be a good experience for them. But, you know, we also are hearing many, many people and we have to make the difficult decision of who is, is getting accepted. I think the preparation has to be immense for these auditions. And what I notice is that sometimes people don't prepare in the, in the best way mm, to play their best audition. I, I think some people don't realize how nervous they're going to be when they get there because you have such a small window of time to right. show what you can do. Right. And I think the reason is that people don't practice or prepare in the way of a performance for their audition. You know what I mean? They, they go to their lessons, they, they, they play well, that seems to go well here, but you have to get in the mindset that you're, you're gonna get up and play and it's gonna be scary and you're gonna, things aren't gonna go as planned. You have to put yourself in that position weeks before that first audition in January. And I tell my students yeah. this all the time, play for each other, pull in four or five people, um, pretend it's your audition, play in every studio class you can, because the more you have that experience of playing that repertoire, the more confidence you'll have. You'll say, okay, I was nervous here. I played at this level. The next time I play at this level, now I know how it's going to feel and I can control that. And I have confidence that I can do it. If you're just practicing and then you show up at your first audition, and you're like, well, okay, I'm fine. You walk in there and, and boom, that right. adrenaline starts flowing. You're, gonna, you're not going to play your best. And your level should be here and it's way down here. So you have to make sure that your level is here and you're confident and your performance level is here. And so I, I, we see that a lot. I see people come in and you see them struggling with the nerves. Mm -hmm. And you know they're not playing at their capability. But at yeah. the same time, you have to judge them based on how they played that day. Exactly. Yep. I don't know if that helps, but I think it's really important, even when you're practicing for the audition, that every day you run the things that you're playing and you tell yourself, okay, this is what it's going to feel like. Imagine you're in the audition. Mm -hmm. I can make myself nervous by myself. I put the video camera on and I see what, what I'm doing. And then you, then you also analyze how it went. What was good? What was wrong? Did I have a memory mistake here? Mm -hmm. How can I fix that? How, how will I get out of that? And that's, you have to be really intense about your preparation. And then I think you can play at a level that you'll, you'll be happy with. But that's what I see from the auditions and also seeing my students when they struggle. It's usually that kind of, um, they're missing that kind of preparation. Right. I'll tell you a funny story. When I auditioned for my first school ever, which was Northwestern, you know, you can never prepare enough because what happened to me was, I did all of that, right? I did all of that. All of that. I played for my friends who are even not music majors. But the thing that happened was I went to the hotel and I was 19 at the time. And in Illinois is only 21 to check in. So I was struggling to even check in the hotel. And after I checked in, the fire alarm went off three times that night. So I barely got any sleep. 
And I thought, okay, I'm literally screwed. But I think because I did all the practice for people who are not even musicians, that really got me nervous. I actually pretty, played pretty well, surprisingly, in, in the audition. So again, yeah, 100% yeah. agree. But that's the funny story right there happened to me. That's exactly what happens. And right. you're also traveling and you're not used to traveling probably at that point, you know. And you were probably at such a level that it was almost in a way automatic. I mean, you had probably prepared yourself in such a way that that's what you were going to do because you worked so hard to get there. And that's kind of how you have to be. You have to be, it has to be even under the worst circumstances, no sleep, incredible nerves, being in a different place and having to get from the hotel to the place and, you know, how much is there a room to warm up in? You might be cold. You're still going to play at that level. Um, And so it's in a way, I think what you're saying is is over preparation to get to where you need to be. Yeah. Right. And it was intense. It was intense for the whole, you know, morning to early afternoon. You know, I, I didn't get any food and it was you have to be in that in that mode because you, you never know when they're calling your name. So, yes, very, yeah, very true. Very true. All right. Let's let's talk about um in terms of recruiting. Right. What do you really look for in a student? I always ask. It's so interesting. to ask the uh, professor this question. Like, do you always look for the best talent, as you know? classical music industry is very talent demanding or do you look for the hardest worker or anything else that you look for in the student that's such a good question and for me it's changed a lot i think i'm i'm more experienced i want out of a student that i'm going to work with because it's it can be a four-year lengthy relationship you know uh, four years or two years or whatever the degree is that you're having and for me it's very important that i have some contact with the student it's not just about the audition because uh, you don't really get to know somebody in a 10 minute audition. Hmm. You don't know personalities. You don't know uh, the working, how the working relationship you will have. So for me, on my end, it's, and I think for, on both sides, it's important to have that connection to know how it's going to be like, because you're meeting 15 times a semester for an hour. And then probably a lot more than that with studio right. classes right. and scales classes and, and um, extra lessons and recitals. So it's a, it's a ton of time and you want to know that uh, on my end, I want to know that somebody who's open to working, to ideas, who's not afraid to try things. And I think working hard is very important. Hmm. Um, dedication. I think I look for somebody who I think has a real passion that yep. they really want to do this because the music world is tough. And if they are a little bit unsure, it can be difficult. However, you know, I have, I have other students who are kind of doing a, a degree where they are still focused on, edu- uh, on other sides of their education. And I don't frown upon that either. You know, I think having possibilities because of the difficulty of the career is okay, uh, as long as they're still willing and committed to working hard on their instrument. Um, so a lot of it has, has to do with the dedication. And I, I think, you know, a lot of people play the, their instruments well, but it, I also look for somebody who has something to say musically they portray a, a, an instinct for music mm-hmm. if it just seems like they're doing playing by rote and they're just going through the motions and they're not really communicating I'm less interested in wanting to work with with somebody like that to me it can be some of it is is that natural musical instinct and I think that's really important um I, okay I, I'm a I'm a big supporter of doing something musical and other, you know, I'm, I started as a music major and economics at Northwestern um, because I feel like now we are in a world of 
and is better than either or. You know, I think it's always good to have other perspectives besides music.、Um, as you know, I went to an art school so for two years, and a lot of my perspective was only music but nothing else. And then my teacher sort of opened up that window, saying, "Okay, Stephen, you probably should go to a university that opens more perspective." And I would say,、um, Jacobs would totally do the same. And I'm taking business classes. I'm taking entrepreneurship classes. That's mainly why I'm doing this. So yeah, 100% agree. And then、um, on that on that point for sure. Okay, we're coming to the one of the last few questions here. So this is a question I think all the students wants to know, right? So,、um, from your past years of teaching, what kind of student gets the most scholarship on the audition day?、Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're 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 being judged on your playing, right? Because this is a, this is a music field. So, when it comes down to it, it's playing. You know, you're you're often given a number by a committee of musicians, how many of them are in the room, and they give a number to what they think. That person brought to that particular audition. How objective and, and fair that? I mean, you know, on any given day, people play differently, and then on any given day, you have different people with different views on what they're looking for. So it can be tough. But I think you have to rise to a certain technical level.、Mm-hmm. That that just has to be there in our field. It's 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 competitive. You know, in terms of intonation, having a beautiful sound, clear articulation, all those you know just basic basic technical things. Have to be there, and then communicating.、Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, there are times where I'll hear somebody, and maybe I see that they're they're not totally there yet as a player. Yeah. But they have something that's like, you know, that they're thinking about the music, that they feel、mm-hmm. it. It's coming from inside of them. There's a natural a natural way of playing. And so, I want to give them a little higher score because,、uh, or I might even be more interested in working with them because. We and you sit in a room for four hours. If you look at it from our side of it, you're sitting there. You're hearing one person after the other. After a while, you start to and you're hearing the same repertoire. You know, right, a lot of overlap. You know, a lot of overlapping. Dvorak and Cherno, Haydn, D. You know,、uh, yeah.、Uh, the clarinet world. I'm sure there's a limited repertoire that they're going to hear. Yes. You, you kind of want somebody who's going to put some life into that process. You know, they come、mm. in. They have something to say. It gets you excited again, you know. I think that's really important, and I think pretty much everybody notices that, you know. I mean, I don't think you want to overdo it. You want to come in there and make sure that you're you're playing at your best. But get excited. I think it, it, when I can tell when somebody comes in, they can control their nerves. They're kind of excited to be there, and they put something into the music. And I think that heightens that that score that we have to give them. Well, at the end of the day, it's like you get a score, and that score relates to、uh, the scholarship you get. Recommendations, those things help. I think we look at recommendations to know if this is somebody that other teachers have enjoyed working with. You know, right now I love my studio. I feel like everybody in my studio is just the personalities. It's like one of the best studios I've had in terms of how we all relate, how supportive everybody is, and. So on on my end, it's important that I find people who will make that studio will create an environment that's the best for learning. So when you look at recommendations, you see, oh, well, this this teacher really loved working with the student, or there's a red flag there, maybe that they were difficult to work with, or they didn't work hard enough, you know. And then you you have an idea of 
of that, that side of the student outside of their playing. They could play amazingly well when you look and you see that and you're like, well, this person didn't play as well, but I would really love to have that person in my studio with all that time that we're gonna be spending together. So I would say recommendations are, are pretty important and you just have to hope that, you know, I would, I would suggest applying to a number of places so you have options financially. Right. Because I know how, it ex how expensive it is now. It is. It's, yeah. it's such a burden for students to have to go to school and, and have to take out loans and yeah. begin a, in a career like ours that's so difficult to have to start their career trying to make money, but you're also already paying $250, $300 a month just to pay back what you owe from being in school. So I think it's important to be careful about that. Yeah. Student loans actually fail, uh, I think, a lot of students because <laughs> they don't really know what they're signing up for. They're getting into it. So, okay, one of the last two questions here. So from your understanding right, of music education at a university or at a conservatory, whatever, from your perspective, what do you think is missing from most of your students' education or anybody in the music world, but musicians still have to learn that is really necessary for them to succeed in the long term? Well, I think a lot of what we're talking about today already, I, I, think I've, I think what you're saying and what you're doing is the right path to be on. You know, I like what, exactly what you have to say and how you've, how you've gone about in uh, your musical life so far is, is right on the money. It's being passionate, being devoted, loving what you do, making sure that you really enjoy it. You know, if there's, if you're not enjoying it, then you have to reevaluate re that. But um, mm -hmm. so, but I think having creativity and being willing to understand how the field is changing and what you can do to be a part of that. And like you said, the word and, I yeah. like that. <laughs> Play great and this and this and this and this what you can offer, you know, be a well-rounded musician, play chamber music, work on your orchestral excerpts, do new music, mm -hmm. be, be open to new music, learning new, new repertoire, because our field has to grow. Uh, we can't just play Beethoven. We have to play the composers that are writing, our, our colleagues, you know, be an entrepreneur, you know, do things on social media, do uh, also think about the future, a lot of people come in as, an, uh, as undergrads and all they think is, well, I have to practice five hours a day. I have to go to orchestra rehearsals. You have to think about what you want in music. What kind of life would be great for you? For me, when I was 22, it was playing in string quartets. That's what I wanted to do. I didn't know if it was a possibility. I didn't know if I would fail at it, but I knew that this was better suited for me than playing in an orchestra. I also knew I loved teaching. So I was able to make in my life, you know, and, and I'm not special. There are so many great players. There are so right. many great players, great musicians. It, it wasn't that, wow, what, how successful I was on the merit of just my playing. It was every day getting up and doing it and hmm. giving my best. And then the next day waking up and doing it. To me, that's more important than, you know, pure talent. And both turned out to be great. So. I, I'm, yeah. I, I definitely feel lucky and I feel like I have one of the greatest musical lives I can have for myself. And, that, and that's not going to be the same for many other people. But if you think about it when you're young and say, well, this is my ideal life in music. I want to play in the CSO or I want to I teach 
at a, any university. I just want to be a teacher. I want to, I want to work with high level students. Now, I'll have to say one thing about the career of teaching. Mm-hmm. I don't think any musician now can live without that side of, of it, being a teacher. Mm-hmm. And being a, for me, my teaching has, I, has taught me more than probably anything else I do. If I were to go back in time, I would say as a young musician, start teaching early, start thinking about teaching early, understanding it, because it's, it's a lot harder than, in my, my opinion, than performing, than playing in an orchestra. It it's is. a lot it harder. Is. So I don't know if, uh, you know, if that answers the question about what should be taught in schools, but that maybe, to me, answers what I think students should be thinking about, because they might not get it, but I think you can find it. You know, like at IU, we have a little bit of everything. We've got new music ensemble. We have Baroque groups. We have uh, orchestral training. We have chamber music, string quartets. It's all there, you know, theory, all of that at a very high level. You have to look for what you want and you have to put it inside inside of your education. Um, You can't just sit back and say, well, this is what they gave me. This is what I'm going to do. Exactly. Yeah. Be creative with your education. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm spending some time here, you know, with, with Henry, uh, my, my dear high school roommate at IU. And I have to say, I'm really blown away by the music department here. It's a lot of great resources here. People can take great advantage of, you know, unlike some, some universities, it's, it's very small, but here it's huge. So kids can really come here and have a, have a great start in their career, I believe. All right. So um, one last question I, I like to ask every single of my guests, um, if possible, is if you look back right to your younger self um, or your college version of yourself or uh, when you just started in your early career, what would you say to your younger self and um, what would you change? What would you do differently? Uh, yeah, well, I was kind of, I answered a little bit just a second ago. I think I would be if I were to go back in time, I would say how I practiced. When I, what I would remember of my practicing up until uh, I was 22 or 23, I, I don't think was as effective. So I think I wasted a lot of time. I could have improved faster. I could have been more aware of how I was practicing. Just knowing how to practice, how I practice now and how quickly I can fix things as opposed to when I was, and, I, and of course, a lot of it is, is a learning thing. You know, you learn these techniques right. as you go, right. but I would try to understand those techniques sooner because I think I would have, it would have saved me a lot of frustration in the process. So I guess listen to your teachers because they know stuff. They've gone through that process and listen to how they say how to work because I think 90% of it is knowing how to practice slowly, Hmm. carefully, correctly, any instrument, you know, um, for the clarinet, I'm sure there are so many techniques, just knowing how to analyze what you're doing. And when you're playing, instead of just going over something over and over and getting frustrated, figuring out what it is that's going wrong, being analytical, it, it will save you so much time and don't be in a hurry. Uh, don't get bogged down, <laughs> which is also something that happens. Getting stuck, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's two sides of it. I see students who like everything has to be perfect so they don't get through anything because all they think about is playing those five notes in tune and they can't move on. You've got to like know how to practice carefully and then play things in progression. But I would say um, definitely 
um, learning how to practice. Learning how to practice. Yeah. Amazing. (laughs) Well, uh, Mr. Ramos, it's such an honor and pleasure to speak with you. I had a great time. um, And thank you for answering those, those questions with great answers. So yeah, thank you for your time. It's a pleasure meeting you. Well, thank you for having me. And I'm really impressed with what you're doing. And uh, this has been a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed talking about these things. And I, I hope it helps. If anybody has any questions, they can uh, always email me. I'm, I'm happy to uh, respond, especially now when I have a little bit of break. So yeah, it, it's, uh, it's a real pleasure to meet you. Yeah, if anybody, anybody is, wants a lesson or a study with Brendan, Vemos, I'll definitely put them in touch for sure. Sounds great. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Uh, hopefully we can meet in person sometime. I would love that. All right. Great. Thank you so much, Mr. Vemos. Have a good one. Take care. Yeah, Take you care. too. Bye-bye. Yeah, see you.